information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. This is a Battle Mountain Podcast from the archives. Uh, hey, my name is Bridger Deaton. I'm 22 years old from uh, the great state of Iowa. I've been competing since I was about uh, 12 or 13. Uh, got into archery because of hunting in Iowa. So uh, shoot on the U.S. Uh, youth Act team for all the World Cups. Uh, bigger tournaments I've won. I've been, I won World Cup finals in 2014, as well as the uh, Buckeye Classic uh, last year, 2016. Uh, use that event. So uh, right now, just I'm actually on my way home back from a 3D tournament. So <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Like I say, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time and hopping on with us. It's kind of hard to have a podcast without a guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're glad to have you. I'm I'm excited to have more tournament shooters on. Um, yeah, I guess this is Hannah Harold. And to start off, I wanted to know a little bit. You said you first really started shooting tournaments when you were 12, and then you'd said you went pro at 17. So, what was it like going pro? You know, at, at 17, when a lot of people, you know, you're still in high school, still doing typical teenager things. What was it like switching to over from amateur to pro at that age? Yeah, I mean, I've been shooting good scores and uh i mean archery was something i always enjoyed doing um he said i got really i got into it because uh my dad and i had two extra months to hunt uh hunting in iowa as opposed to two weeks of gun hunting um so and on a whim we went to a 3d shoot and uh ended up i did okay there and just kind of stumbled my way into the target stuff and realized I enjoyed that. But um, as far as changing from, like, the young adult, I didn't even shoot the amateur men's class. I jumped right into the the pros. And um, when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, I remember going to bigger shoots. And at the time I was shooting, uh, shooting a Hoyt, I remember seeing guys wearing Hoyt shirts and they all said pro staff on the back or Hoyt Team USA and, uh, I still remember when I was real young at a 3D shoot. I told my dad, I nudged him and said, "Dad, one of those days, one of these days, I'm going to have a shirt like that." So, uh, oh, that's I mean, that great. was kind of the. So I mean, that was kind of the birth of it. Just seeing, uh, I couldn't tell you who it was I saw at the time, but uh, I mean, seeing, you know, shooters with the pro staff and stuff. And for me, as a kid, it wasn't something I. I mean, my parents were. Uh, nice enough and told me that if I wanted something, I should try and work for it. And I did, you know, I didn't really want to just buy a buy a shooter shirt and have somebody screen print pro staff on there. You know, I wanted to, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it to the fullest extent. And uh, while it's kept me out of a lot of trouble, I'm sure it's got me into some trouble here and there. But um, <laughs> I mean, I'm I, I mean, I love doing it. I get to travel all over the place and see all sorts of things, meet all sorts of people. So, Absolutely, yeah. I, I think traveling to shoot is one of the greatest parts of competing. Yeah, for sure. I I think last year, I didn't, there were three World Cups, and I, I only went to one uh, because of my placement in the national rankings, but I still think I was gone about 
30, 25 to 30 weekends out of the year. So, it's, I mean, it's definitely a full-time gig. Absolutely, but it's a fun full-time gig. Yeah, I mean, how many 21, 22, 23-year-olds can say they've been, you know, all over the planet uh, doing what they enjoy to do, so, and mm-hmm. get, you know, and get a little bit of change to do it, so. Yeah, that's a lot of archers' dreams. So you had said that when you were a kid, you know, that you had that moment where you saw the pro staff jersey and shooter shirt, and that's what really got you all excited and, and motivated to really, that became your goal. Um, so then what what was your first, you know, official pro staff shirt or, or jersey, and what was that moment like for you? Uh, I should try to think. I don't know if it was so much as a pro staff shirt. Um, I think somewhere around 2011 was when I uh, switched to, you know, I decided I was going to try and shoot pro. And um, I think I remember I was at the Lancaster Classic. I just shot the high score at the Iowa Pro-Am. And uh, this was back when the Lancaster shoot was uh, still in the the shot building. Um, I mean, it was busting at the seams then, but... We were still shooting. I shot in the showroom, which was neat. And, you know, especially with how much money I end up spending at Lancaster every year <laughs> being there. But uh, I remember uh, Logan Wild brought me a little box from Kevin Wilkie, who was a Hoyt staff manager at the time, and gave me a couple of shirts. So that was that was a pretty cool moment for me. That was really my first uh, shoot as a pro. Um, back then, they didn't even have the amateur classes. So, um yeah, and I I think I fell on my face. I did awful, at least in the the shoot up part, so the elimination rounds. But oh yeah, uh, those will get you. Oh geez, I I my knees were cracking together. I was so nervous, but uh, I mean, doing it that young it helped me learn a lot quicker. Uh, you know, just jumping head and head first. So. Mhm. So then how old were you, you know, went pro as a teenager at 17. How old were you when you went to your your first World Cup or when you made the World Cup team? Uh, I shot for the World Cup team in 2013. Um, all that year I shot uh, senior, which is a premier class for USA archery, and that's a class you need to shoot in order to uh, get to use that rank, get the top four, uh, and the top four get to qualify and go to all the World Cups. Well, I think I qualified third uh, in 2014, or sorry, 2013. So 2014 was really my first, uh, like my debut season as a pro or senior uh, for the U.S. And my very first tournament, I qualified second behind Stefan Hansen from Denmark. I was able to shoot the mixed team with Erica Jones and ended up in the bronze uh, final and won bronze, and also won the, got silver in the team event with Erica, and won the the men's team event with Rio and Braden. So, um, I mean, I had shot, in, I mean, not as a senior, but as a junior, I had shot at world championships and stuff before, so I was used to the format, so that wasn't too different. But it's it was, I mean, it was a different feeling, a little bit different atmosphere going out there as a, as a senior as opposed to a junior or a cadet. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it's 
I enjoy it a lot. I mean, the cadet stuff is cadet and junior stuff is good, but it's uh, you know, it's different as a senior when you're competing for competing for more than a you know fifteen dollar medal. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I know you mentioned your your nerves at Lancaster. I've watched a lot of the World Cup videos, and you're up there on the platform, and there's the TVs, and you know, especially in the finals. What what were the nerves like then? Honestly, I don't get uh, like crazy nervous then because because we can shoot in like it's the 20 second format or mm-hmm. the team stuff. It's it because of the quick time frame. It forces for me anyways. It forces me into a forces me into a rhythm quicker than if I'm you know just shooting end by end or you know like we do in uh, Vegas or uh, Louisville or I guess now Cincinnati for the NFA Indoor Nationals where it's just you have two minutes and you need to shoot three or four minutes and you need to shoot five arrows. Mm-hmm. So um, going arrow by arrow, it's, it is more nerve wracking, but um, I enjoy it a lot more. And not to say that I don't get nervous, but uh, uh, it just keeps you, uh, for me, it's easier to keep everything moving as far as my, my release and aim and everything like that. So, um, mm-hmm. and shooting the team stuff, I guess I don't get super nervous. Um, I get excited about it because I know that, I mean, when you stand next to Braden or Rio or Steve Anderson, I shot teams with him or Erica Jones. I mean, they've won more stuff than I'll ever get to. So, or I don't get to, but ever hope to win. So um, knowing that, like, I have people like that on a team makes it easier to, you know, relax a little bit, knowing that if I, you know, throw a nine that uh, – chances are they're going to come back and toss one back in the 10 ring. So, and mm-hmm. it kind of goes both ways. We all support each other during the team rounds and usually end up shooting pretty well. So, Now, do you want to explain, I know Zach or other, you know, non-tournament archers might not be as familiar with this team round format. Can you explain how exactly that team, that team round takes place? <laughs> I, I have a feeling Zach's over there that. just wondering. <laughs> I was just about yeah. to ask that. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, when we go to a World Cup, there's four of us. So the top three qualifiers in uh, compound men, compound women, and recurve men, recurve women, um, they'll all shoot as a team, and it's six arrows an end and two minutes. So when we're shooting a final style, uh, like usually we'll be ranked higher or if we're not, uh, but usually the first-ranked team with the highest qualification will uh, shoot first, and we'll shoot three arrows. So when I shot teams with uh, Rio and Braden, we would always shoot Rio first, myself second, and Braden third. And we wouldn't, you'd, there'd be a one meter line. So uh, until the clock started, uh, you had to stand behind that line. So it's not like you can all stand on the line and have your arrows ready. So the timing aspect of it is really important. So you can't sit there and hold or let down. Like you have to fire every arrow you draw back with. So, um, that's kind of adds a little bit of excitement. If somebody's holding long, then the next guy's got a quick shoot and you know shoot quickly mm-hmm. on the last arrow. And uh, I mean, so like Braden or uh, Braden would step up from behind the one meter line and shoot, and I'd have to wait until he crossed back over the one meter line for me to even step up to the to the shooting line. So it makes uh, trying to fit stepping up to the line. You know, Back aiming, 
uh, you're shoving all that, all those steps into a 20 second uh, window. And if each guy took 20 seconds, the last, you know, the last arrow would be firing on zero. So. Mhm. Uh, I, I always thought team cool, round was so. great to watch. Yeah, it, it is. Like that's one event that I enjoy watching, and it makes it easier to watch because everybody's always shooting, you know, different or has different style. You can see how different teams interact. Um, some teams do have really individ- uh, really unique. Like uh, Italy, uh, Sergio Pagni is one of their top shooters. So in the first half of the end, he shoots third, or he shoots first. Excuse me. First half of the end, he shoots the first arrow, and then they totally reverse their order, and, shoot, and then he shoots last in the second part. So. Yeah, I think yeah, when a- watching those team rounds is great because, like you said, you've got those three shooters who are all kind of standing there ready to go, and you're not allowed to knock your arrow behind the line, right? You have to wait till you're up on the shooting yep. line to knock and, an arrow, so you can't be yep. ready to and go. Even, and even if you're uh, shooting a thumb release, you can't even hook your, uh, like some releases have the closed jaw where they'll hang on your D-loop anymore. You mm-hmm. can't actually knock that either. Yeah, so so. it's totally different than the normal shooting style you'd see when you're shooting maybe, you know, a a six-arrow end or something where you've got time between each arrow to to rest and not, you know, load up and kind of take a breather, whereas on a team, it's shoot, run to the line, next person runs up, shoot, run to the line, you know? Yep, it's it's pretty quick pace, and that makes, being faster paced, too, makes it easier to not get nervous because you don't don't really have time. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, I I always thought I mean team shoots are also unique because whenever I've watched a team shoot, you've got everyone you know clapping and cheering and congratulating their team members and versus normally on the line it's silent you know. Yeah, and it's and it's a lot easier for the crowd to get involved in and pay attention and uh, you know understand what's going on. I know, I mean I shoot archery for a living and. I, Watch, just watching a group of people shoot is like watching grass grow or paint dry. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> I think that's how Zach feels when I bring him to tournament. <laughs> well, it's funny because she goes, she goes. I really enjoy watching archery, and I said, "What the hell for?" She's like, "Well, I like to see if they hit the X or not." And I'm like, "Oh Lord, you have too much time on your hands." <laughs> oh jeez, I, I mean, like I said, I do it for a living, but. Man, I unless it's a shoot up style or arrow by arrow, I I can't I like if I'm just watching people shoot, like watch a three hundred round, I can't do it. Unless I'm <laughs> shooting. Like if I shoot three arrows and then sit down and like pan the line and see what everybody else is doing, it's it's okay. But if I'm not shooting it just kills me. <laughs> yeah. it's, oh, it's awful. <laughs> And, you know, it's funny because I'm sure there's a lot of pro archers out there who this is what they do for a living. This is their passion, their life, you know, and it was their dream since they were a kid. And they still are like, oh, yeah, I hate watching. <laughs> oh, I'm, heck, uh, Braden and I, we finished uh, shooting around today, and we we went and played golf. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it gets to a point where it's like, so, you know, any other job, you just need a break every now and then, so... So luckily, I'm driving home, so I was able to pull up and listen to the 
listen to the live feed that Bo Junkie was doing on Facebook, so I got to watch the the shoot downs. But um, I mean, those are exciting to watch. I love watching that stuff. But just yeah, like watching a qualifying round <laughs> is awful. So kudos <laughs> to anybody who really enjoys watching. <laughs> You're much more attentive than I am. <laughs> so then I'm curious, one of the the things that you said you were, like, really good at or you thought was one of your strengths in archery was obsessive tuning. So what do you mean by obsessive tuning? So as a picture, my, my basement at the house is kind of my archery room. And when I say basement, I don't mean, like, a 12 by 12 room. It, it's, like, Oh, 20 feet by 30 feet, maybe. Oh, and nice. it's completely covered in archery stuff. And I'm <laughs> I'm the same way my grandfather was. It looks like an absolute mess, but I know exactly where everything is. <laughs> I'm the only one who understands where everything's at. But, like, I I mean, when I'm setting up arrows um, or, cha- you know, working on draw lengths and stuff, I have, I mean, I like, for me, I don't use a draw board. I have an arrow that I check. Like it's just a draw arrow when I I'll measure to put my rest in the correct location as far as forward and back, and uh, I'll check where the arrow sits on the rest, and then after that I rather than measuring it and saying yeah it's good, I'll have to go out and shoot it because I've had bows that are everything's measured identically, draw weight, holding weight, uh, draw length, mass weight, peep height. I mean everything to a T where I can take the side off one bow, put it on another, and still hit the hit neck at 50 meters. And they still feel completely different. Just because, I mean, it, like I shoot for Matthews, and they do an absolute phenomenal job. You know, they're machining stuff. Everything's so specific. But when you have, when you're using uh, glass limbs, um, I mean, stuff can feel different the way the limbs react. Um, a lot of stuff can change from bow to bow, uh, especially with that many moving parts. So um, for me, like if a bow feels long, I'll change the draw length. Or uh, if it feels short or light, or, I mean, I'm constantly adjusting stuff, which I'm sure has hindered me at some points. But once I get a bow that's on the money, then I usually don't mess with it. But, uh, You've got to find I mean, that I have, spot. Yeah. And that's the thing. I just, it's tough for me to set up a backup bow because, like, I get one running and then I'll just get my backup bow close because I'll never get both of them to shoot the exact same. And if I do, I'm not shooting to my full potential with either of them. I'd rather shoot at 100% with one and, you know, 75% with the other than, you know, 80 80. I think that makes sense. I mean,. Luckily, my sponsors let me have a bunch of stuff so I can play with arrows, stabilizer weights, and all that stuff, which I know is tough for a lot of people to do. But, um, I mean, you can tune almost any bow to almost any arrow. Uh, like my my indoor arrows are a 300 spine, and I don't have Steve Pearson's draw of, you know, like 38 inches to break yeah. that type of spine down. So, I mean, my bow still shoots that arrow incredibly well shooting uh x jammer 27 and they're like a 290 290 spine or something which is way Mm -hmm. too stiff but i mean i spent when i first got those arrows i spent probably two weeks playing with 
different setups. Like I'd take and have three of them cut at 31 inches, three of them cut at 30, 29, 28, and then all, all kinds of different point weights in where, you know, how they grouped, which one shot the best bear shaft. And so I just, I try and play with as much stuff as I can. And once I find a sweet spot, I can really start narrowing everything down. Got a whole, mm-hmm. like, 20 PVC pipes full of arrows on my archery bench that I use. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'll pull an arrow out and test it, see what it does through paper, and then see what it does bare shaft through paper. And so there's, I don't know if I have an exact science to it, <laughs> like some <laughs> people do, but... Uh, and I may not understand exactly why something works better than the other, uh, just because I'm not, I mean, I'm not an engineer. I know how bows work and stuff, but I don't have the engineering mind to make, you know, make something work that isn't working already. So yeah. I, I mean, I just spend a lot of time testing and uh, playing around with stuff. So, but if it, I've, I've never shot an arrow through paper and had it not be like you can, see the ridges in the vein through the paper and you know I've never thrown one through paper and had to be a quarter inch off and said ah that's good <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I've never been able to shoot a bow that's close enough so I'm well, really think, particular on how all my stuff feels I mean what you said about having your your main bow be 100% and then your backup 75% that makes perfect sense because in an ideal situation, you're not even going to use your backup bow. And if you have to use your backup bow, it means something's already gone wrong, and you're probably it, it, already not yeah. going to be shooting to your best. So exactly, like I'll, if, if my if I have a crack knock and I shoot it and my string blows up, I already shot a zero. So 99 percent of the tournaments I go to, I'm already going to be out of. Mm-hmm. So if I can pick up my bow finish strong and shoot a, you know, respectable score with a zero than with a backup bow, then that's what I'll do. And if it's a tournament where I'm not completely out, like if it happens during a ranking round at a World Cup or a USAT where, uh, you know, the ranking round is important, but as long as I beat, you know, 103 other guys, I can still play in the elimination rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can take that, take the rest of that day to really try and zero in the backup bow. So, um, uh, for me, it's just tough to commit equal time to both bows and have them not be, you know, be just shooting mediocre scores as opposed to, you know, this a competitive score and, you know, still be, be right there. So, mm-hmm. especially in, especially in the men's division, men's compound and even, I mean, heck, I got beat by a bunch of girls at the, in Vegas, so... <laughs> The scores are so ridiculous. They really I mean, are. I shot, I've shot, I don't know how many scores over 710 at 50 meters out of 720, but at 72 arrows, I'm missing the, what is it, like a three inch, three and a half inch circle 10 times and still be three or four points out of the lead. So, yeah. I mean, it's everything's so close. It's hard to be just good enough with one bow. Good it enough isn't. usually isn't ever good enough. You know, in in a, a high level target, you know, compound tournament, it's one of those things where 
that one X, that one, you know, centimeter, a couple of millimeters even, can be the difference between maybe a $3,000 paycheck and a $10,000 paycheck, you know? Oh, yeah. If if I was at the ASA, if all my arrows that were a quarter inch out were 12s, I would have gone into the shoot down in first place. So, yeah. <laughs> instead, I was like 20 points out of the shoot down. So, yeah, it, so it's that crazy. little bit makes a huge difference. So then I know we talked a lot about the World Cup, and so that's World Cup, USAP, stuff like that. That's all World Archery or USA Archery events. Is that your your primary focus? But, I mean, you said you just did this this ASA. Do you do a lot of 3D still, or do you primarily focus on paper? Primarily paper. Um, I mean, that's my forte. That's what I've done for the last six or seven years, and I feel like I, I, aim, I aim at that better, obviously, because I know – how far it is and what to point my bow at. Um, but <laughs> that, that does help. And I, I, yeah. And I just have a lot more opportunity to shoot those being, you know, the position that I have on Matthew's staff and uh, all my, you know, my other sponsors. So, um, and I mean, not that they don't support me shooting 3D, but um, that's definitely what I, that's, I mean, that's what I get paid to do. So um, mm-hmm. that's, 100% my primary focus um, this year uh, with ASA coming out with the known pro and a lot of companies throwing a good amount of money in, uh, you know, as a professional archer, it'd be kind of silly for me to not try and win one of those, you know, try and yeah. do my best to figure it out. So. <laughs> so then one of the other things you had mentioned as, like, a strength is problem-solving. What do you mean by problem-solving? Uh, I mean, kind of ties back into the whole tuning aspect. Um, like I said, with, I mean, how I have my, uh, oops. Sorry, am I getting another call? Sorry. Uh, but how I set up my bow. Uh-oh. Oh, there you I'm are. So you, did I lose you? You're back You're now. Oh. <laughs> okay. Where, uh, where, did I, where did I get cut off at? Just, just right when I started asking you about problem solving, oh. you started explaining it. All right. So I was saying with tuning and uh, a lot of it's bow setup. So for me, shooting uh, a good example would be shooting the 3Ds. I, for the life of me, cannot shoot an up pin, down pin coming from any direction, that post just throws me for a loop. If I have an up pin or a down pin, my group will be, you know, the width of an arrow wide, but like four or five inches tall. I, <laughs> I cover the dot, and then I start aiming with the post, and I can't, I lose the pin and just start aiming with the post all the time. So, like I took the uh, side I'm using now, it's a specialty housing, and then a clear target lens with mm-hmm. a neon pink dot and I JB welded a, an LP light to the top so it shines <laughs> on that dot so that I mean it's like a suspended pin really and for me it's super easy to aim at aim with because that's what I uh, that's what I shoot for everything else is just a dot stuck on my lens you know so I have zero obstruction around my around what I aim with yeah so, it's, yeah. I mean, it's really unconventional, but for me, it works phenomenally well. So that problem-solving ability is, is the J.B. Welding stuff to your bow. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, so luckily, and another one is Trueball. I mean, luckily they're pretty good. Mark, their engineer, gets gives me a sour look every time I show them my releases. But like for me, they're really wide, and I dig really far into the release. Like I'm on my uh, hinge back tension releases. I'm on like that first knuckle on my index finger with how wide they are. I kind of just neck them down a little bit so I don't get a big callus on my finger and I can get a lot more consistent uh, hand placement. Yeah, well, I mean, whatever you got to so, do to make your shooting setup work for you. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, archery so, like, individually specific. Everybody has a different setup. I could, I could find somebody that measures the exact same in wingspan and draw length, has the same peep height and everything, and I'd still hit three inches off with their bow because, you know, I'm going to grip it different. I'm going to pull harder, softer than they do against the back wall. Um, I mean, everybody's so individually specific that uh, it's literally impossible for me to grab someone else's bow and shoot it the exact same way that I shoot mine. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, I guess... One of the things I'm curious about is a lot of what you described is getting the bow set up perfectly for yourself as an archer, right? And for new mm-hmm. archers that are just getting into tournaments or hunting or whatever, a lot, you know, they go to their local pro shop and give them the bow and the, you know, staff there set up the bow and give it back to them and then they just shoot it. So as people make that transition from the pro staff or, you know, or the pro shop setting up their bow for them as they know nothing about archery to wanting to get more into tournaments and maybe getting to that pro level that you're at. Obviously, they're going to need to learn more about working on their own bow and making these adjustments themselves because when you take your bow to a pro shop and they set it up for you, they are going to shoot it differently than you do. When they paper tune, they shoot it differently. You know, the peeps mm-hmm. are different heights for yeah. them. So how did you yeah. learn all these skills so that you could then do it on your own bows and, and make your bows perfect for you? I mean, for me, a lot of it's self-taught. But uh, when I was first getting into it, luckily my bow shop would uh, he would let me come behind the bench and see whatever he was doing. So I and I so I was able to teach myself how to serve and you know how to paper tune and all that stuff when I was younger. But um, I always tell people who want to get more into it, it whether it's on the tournament side or the hunting side, um, if you want to be more proficient with your bow and be more accurate and everything set up better, the best thing you can do is learn how to work on your own equipment. Um, and not only that, but make, like if you're younger, it is, and I don't have a coach, but it is important to have a coach that uh, knows your form and can pick something out. So, like for me, I'm constantly checking my form, you know, thinking about my form. If I'm doing something, I always try and fix myself first. If I'm just doing something silly that I wasn't doing the day before or that I should be doing, I'd rather fix that than, you know, drive home and throw it in the press from the range or, you know, rather than changing everything every day, you know, throwing twists in my string and all that, I'd rather fix myself because that's the human element is obviously the most uh you know, the the biggest variable mm-hmm. in anything. But, um, yeah, learning learning how to work on all your own stuff is, is really important, I think. I mean, it's you'll never find uh, anybody in the top, you know, on the top end of in any class that has somebody else set their bow up for them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, <clears throat> I have, like, so when you first got started, what was what was kind of, I don't know, basically like your road to getting to the cut? Because, I mean, obviously you didn't just go out and shoot with your dad and wake up the next morning and be like, yep, I'm going to be on a World Cup, and then a week later qualify for the World Cup, you know, <laughs> like, you know, the world team and all that. So, I mean, were you, you know, shooting three times a week? Were you shooting every day? Were you going to as many local tournaments as you possibly could? You know, like, what was kind of your steps and things like that to getting to where you were shooting competitively enough to make it on the team? Yeah, I when I was younger, like, I'd shoot or I'd, uh, you know, I'd go to school, middle school, high school or whatever. I'd be home by, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So during uh, the outdoor season, first part of the outdoor season, I could go shoot. And luckily, our our club has a 24-hour range. Um, so I could go shoot regardless of what time I got home from school. I'd work, you know, get home working on work my homework and all that that fun stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's important. Do your homework well, because I wasn't—I focused a little too much on archery, I think. <laughs> but <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I would practice every day when I was younger, and uh, I mean, I was really lucky to have a group of guys at our local local shop that uh, were also pretty competitive. I mean, they didn't—I mean, they shot in the pro class, and I mean, not to say they were slouches by any stretch, but you know, it wasn't like shooting with. Rio or somebody like that every weekend. But, I mean, there were 300 average shooters uh, on a Vegas face. So um, having somebody that's leaps and bounds better than you, you know, you usually shoot up, start to shoot up towards uh, their level. And, it, you know, a heightened competition helps helps you excel a lot faster. And I was lucky enough to have that as well as, uh, you know, befriended them and was able to travel to tournaments with them. You know, if there was a shoot that, uh, I couldn't go to with my parents, but they were going to a lot of the, a lot of the more national stuff like that Lancaster shoot or Vegas or Louisville, um, as well as going to local competitions uh, whenever I had the chance. So, um, I mean, working on your bow, making, doing all that, but also making, uh, making connections and networking. I mean, everybody in our troop kind of a big family if nobody's gonna just turn your nose up to you like some other people i've met nobody i've met yet well and if you're younger just go up and go up and ask talk to them meet the people at your at your local shop and i mean it's 99.9 percent of the people if you ask them a question they're gonna do whatever they can to answer it and if they can't answer it they're gonna find somebody that can yeah, yeah i agree absolutely. So. Um, I think with me getting into archery, that's also one of the things I noticed is everyone is so friendly. You can ask any, I mean, even even some of the top name pros who might seem like they've got a busy schedule in the middle of a tournament, getting ready to shoot. Someone will ask them a question, and they're glad to stop and answer it. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't met anybody who's going to be like, no, I'm shooting now, and then, like, brush you off. I mean, if, I mean, if like, uh, Seven Anthony or Mike or Rio or somebody's in the middle of the Vegas shoot-off, don't go up and tap my shoulder and ask them a question. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, before we shoot or after we shoot, 
I mean, yeah, yeah, preferably not on the line. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if we're on the line of full draw and you tap on the shoulder, you might get a dirty look, but <laughs> I mean, that's that's primarily what uh, what the company companies pay us to do. I mean, they yeah, we get paid to win tournaments, but uh, I mean, we gotta we gotta be a nice enough guy to sell their product. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So. I mean, even if I shoot poorly, I'm usually, you know, in one of my, one of the booths, trying to answer questions for people. Even if the day went bad for me, if I learned, if I learned something out of the day, that's something, something else I can teach uh, somebody else. So. Mhm. That's awesome. Well, I mean, if if you were to give for kind of a wrap up here, if you were to give one tip about anything, about first tournaments or tuning or whatever you want it to be. But if you had one tip to give archers who are, you know, getting into tournaments, they're in tournaments now and want to step it up to the next level or maybe have a dream of going to the World Cup one day, what would that tip be? Uh, I mean, kind of as a general tip, I would tell some, like, uh, all, whenever you shoot your bow, always try and learn something, whether you're uh, just finishing you know, just a regular practice round for the day, or if you're in Vegas or at another world-class event and trying to compete, if you don't learn something every day, you're never gonna, never gonna continue to excel. I mean, I've, you know, you'll talk to like Jesse. He's been shooting for 20 some odd years, and he still is figuring stuff out. <laughs> I mean, it you there's always an opportunity to learn. And you always got to continue to learn. That's the biggest thing. If you you think you find something and then just totally get set in your ways, and if somebody else is going to jump ahead of you because they're going to continue, you know, they're going to learn more than you and figure something else that you figure something out that you never did. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. That's probably one of the best tips I've heard or haven't even heard yet. So I'm glad you told me that. That's something new for me to try every time I shoot now. Absolutely. Well, perfect. Well, thank you very much for hopping on with us. I appreciate it. I learned a lot because you know, everybody knows target archery is my thing. So. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate worry. it. I, I would, if somebody told me I could only shoot tournaments or hunt and I couldn't do both, I would, I would hunt for sure. Yeah. I shoot, I shoot tournament archery so I can pay for all the hunting garbage. I probably don't need. <laughs> yeah. That's yep. definitely my number one thing. I mean, growing up in Iowa, we got, you know, whitetails and turkeys and stuff. So I love hunting, and I've never killed anything but a fish outside of my home state. So, and I'm still obsessed with it. Well, I'm I'm not kidding you at all. You are seriously more than welcome to come hunt Wyoming. Just let me know when, and we'll make it happen. Heck, if you keep telling me, I'm going to end up at your front door when you're not expected. <laughs> Hell, I'll give you the address. <laughs> well thanks again for coming on I, I appreciate everything you shared with, with us and so people can learn more about tournament archery and, and hopefully improve their tournament game yeah for sure I hope I hope uh, name Bridget Eaton doesn't scare anybody away from uh, listening to your podcast so <laughs> no I don't think it will if they listen, they listen, and I'm on the show. So, and I, I'm on every one of them. So, you're good. <laughs> All right, man. We'll have a have a good, safe rest of your trip, and hopefully, we'll be talking to you soon. Yep, I'm sure we'll see you around. 
Uh, all right. Well, thanks again. Thanks, Bridger. Bye. All right. See ya.